check that check out this uh, ikea wireless dimmers there look at the light behind me and go oh she fancy oh that's ai shit there it's like mind mind powers like Hello, and welcome to We're Totally Not Okay. But that's okay. A podcast about the intersection between mass media culture and mental health. I'm Kaylee Legrand. And I'm Justin Van Liso. And we make our guests introduce themselves. Navin, who are you? I am Navin Ramos Warren. I am uh, a dude. <laughs> I'm Kaylee's <laughs> friend. I am uh, a director and editor, I guess, by, by profession. Um, but yeah, I also like to party and uh, make cocktails. And you just got to do that in quarantine for your 40th birthday. That's right. I guess, well, I'm, I'm sure well, you I guess did the good thing is I didn't because my, my wife is a bartender, so she's making all the drinks. And she still I mean, is. Actually. She made me a nice Negroni for this, for this chat. Okay, every Zoom meeting we have, she enters with a different drink for you. It was a Caesar last time. <laughs> oh, so that's going to be progressively getting more and more hammered throughout this interview. So Excellent. just hit up. Perfect. That's, I think you already got the swing of what we, what we are. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah, you actually, what was cool is I saw that Lisa, your wife recreated a bunch of dishes from places that have been closed down. Cause guys, we're still in, for those who are like listening in the future, maybe we're not anymore, but we're in quarantine. We're in lockdown. We're in COVID-19 times. And yep. so you were able to go out and celebrate with your friends. I watched the full, what, like hour movie that was put together. Everybody sending in messages to you. 28 you know, minutes. Yes. <laughs> 28. It was adorable. It was so cool. And I'm sad that we great. couldn't celebrate it in person. Yeah, that, that was really, really special. And, and you were, you were part of that as well, which is wonderful. And yeah, she did that without, I had no clue. So what, what my wife Lisa did was she got in touch with my friends, my family, um, a lot of people from, you know, like not just here in Toronto, but all over the world and got them to send in sort of birthday wishes on, on video. And she got our friend, Mike Donis, who's a wonderful editor, uh, to put it all together. And she got, and they got Jay Ryan, who's a visual effects buddy of mine to do, to basically caught me into back to the future. <laughs> it's the best, <laughs> which is one of my favorite movies. So see, they caught me into back to the future. Um, I made this whole video. It's like this 30 minute almost video that with all, all, all you lovely people wishing me happy birthday in, 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 in your own creative ways. And uh, yeah, that's how my, my birthday started. That was the first thing she showed me in the morning. And then the rest of the Did day was cry? just, you know. No, you see, I close. I came really close though. I'm not an emotional person. I don't cry. It's just not my thing. But if I could cry, I totally would have bawled my eyes out. I was, my eyes out. I was, I, was, I was totally touched. Like I was just like, I could feel it right here in my heart and and it was it was sweet it was very lovely and you know all you guys really made it super special it felt like i was celebrating with my friends because of that video and i watched that video three times throughout the day and it was great i watched it when i woke up i watched it at some point in the middle there when i was like getting hammered and sentimental and then, and then <laughs> right right before i went to bed i watched it too so it's great Cut to the evening when you don't remember and you actually did cry. You watched it for like the eighth time and you're just yeah, yeah, I probably did Lisa's cry. taking just, videos of you. I just, the version in my head is I was just very stoic and, and cool about it. And uh, I yeah. probably, probably wasn't. <laughs> you're allowed to have that outward persona. You're allowed to have that perception of yourself. It's, it's yes. cool to feel stoic. Yeah. <laughs> So it sounds like you rubbed off a little bit on her. She was her own filmmaker of sorts for that day. You yeah. have the same influence on a lot of people. You have the kind of energy that just creatively, you feel it right away. The first time that I met you, I know that I, I felt it right away. And it was, it was so cool to just, uh, I just wanted to hear all your ideas. I wanted to know what you were working on, like all the things that I want to know now too, or at least share with other people, because I do know <laughs> some of your work and things that you're doing. But maybe you can talk a little bit about the things that you have created, um, you know, film versus some of the ad world stuff that you do and how you came to be a filmmaker. Ooh, um, well, 
if we go way, way back, I'm actually doing a James Bond marathon tonight with, with Lisa as part of her like three day birthday plan. And why that's important is because I actually started uh, at a very young age. My dad was a film buff. Um, and he used to show me, he introduced me to a lot of movies that, uh, you know, that got me, got me really curious about movies. And he even took me to my first movie in theaters when I was seven years old. It was The Living Daylights. It was a James Bond movie. And that's why James Bond is so special to me as well. And I've, I grew up watching James Bond and Indiana Jones and Back to the Future and movies like that. So, um, and also little horror movies like, like, um, you know, some really creepy ones too, actually like Tourist Trap and, and a lot of the full moon movies for some reason, I guess my dad liked it. But what was interesting is even at the time, once I realized the fact that movies were not real, immediately the next question in my head was, how did they do that? Or how did they do this? You know, so I was always very curious, curious to find out. And, you know, back in the 80s when I was a kid, it, it wasn't like nowadays where you get, you know, you can find DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff that have kind of tons of special features that you can find, how they make movies and stuff like that. It was very different back then. It wasn't, it was all videotapes and, you know, you watch the movie and that's it. But Full Moon, actually, this production company that actually still exists till today, um, used to have these little vignettes at the end of their movies that had a little two to three minute behind the scenes making off kind of thing. So that's really what kind of, at least from what I remember, that's what got me really curious about movies and how people, how, how they made certain things and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's what got me curious. But then I never really thought, I mean, I grew up in Malaysia, which is, which is in Southeast Asia and the, the culture isn't very, um, artistic, I guess you can call it. It's very much, you become, you know, you become a professional doctor or lawyer or engineer, like that's the sort of mentality. And that's how, that's sort of, that was my education. But then it wasn't really till I came to Canada way back in 1999 for university that I discovered, oh, I could actually do filmmaking as a course. And uh, even though I started off in computer science and actually my first almost three years of university was actually my major was computer science. Uh, I was doing a minor in communication studies um, at the University of Windsor, where you emphasize this, you know, you do a general communication studies year, course for the first year, but then after that you emphasize in uh, film production, radio, or journalism. And I did film production and I loved it so much that I ended up swapping my majors in like my third year or something. But I, have, I had enough credits because I was doing it as my minor that I didn't have to do. I just had to do one extra semester, I think, to get a degree in communication studies and visual arts, which is what I ended up getting. But Windsor was one of the few universities in Canada, I, I don't know if it's still the same now, but at, at least at the time, that had a production unit. So you're not learning just film theory, you actually learned to film production. And I actually went out and shot 16 mil film and then edited on film and all that kind of stuff on a big, on a steam back and stuff like that. So that's really where I started to realize that maybe this could be a viable career option, you know? And then once I graduated, I got a job at a production company in Windsor as an editor uh, and a shooter as well as a small production company. You know, we do like small um, commercials and branded content, corporate videos, stuff like that. And uh, I would shoot and edit my stuff. And that sort of segued me into directing. And I also used to volunteer on film sets while I was there and met um, you know, one of my closest buddy, buddies now, whom you know, Gavin Booth, um, volunteered on his first movie feature film set. And then him and I co-directed my first movie called Do Not Disturb that you, can, you can't find. It doesn't exist. <laughs> it's, 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 anyway, so we... Well, now we want to see Gavin it. might have a copy of it. But anyway, so... That was, Gavin has a lot of info on you that I'm still waiting to hear. Something about yeah, a wine uh, night. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of how it started. And then, you know, about a year after that, I ended up writing and directing my own feature film, my solo directing debut, I guess you can call it. Um, a little movie called Nara, but a talking severed head. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, and then after that, I moved to Toronto, I got a job here, and I'm still with the company that I uh, moved here for back in 2008. Um, started working at uh, Studio M as a editor and a shooter, uh, and then very quickly sort of became a director at, at Studio M. So I'm still, I'm re now represented by Studio M's offshoot, which is Unified Content, uh, as a director for commercials. So you, I have a couple of questions. One that I guess is not necessarily um, 
COVID-19 related and then a follow-up about how things feel a little bit different right now. But in terms of the differences between your commercial work and your film work, what do you find, what drives you in them and what gives you the satisfaction and what do you not get from the other? Like, are, would, would, you, would you want to continue with both always? Uh, and then we'll get to the COVID-19 question, how things change. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. And ideally, yes, because, I mean, I, I think it's because I've been doing both for so many years and sort of juggling both. I find a lot of the skill set, you know, is transferable. Like, I mean, I, I learn a lot on independent movie sets, especially uh, longer format and commercials as well, because, you know, one, obviously it's very quick turnaround. The commercials are, you know, you do, you know, three second commercials. I mean, it kind of depends. Nowadays, I, you know, you, you wouldn't do six second commercials, right? Um, but it's super short format, super quick turnaround. And the hierarchy is a little different. Um, I haven't really done TV yet, but from what I can sort of see, it's in a way commercials are similar to TV in the sense that the hierarchy is a little different. You know, for movies, for, for features especially, especially independent features, the director has a lot of control over how things run and how things shape up and how things end up. That, that isn't necessarily the case with commercials and TV because you are part of the system, you're part of a committee that drives the creative forward, right? So I feel like coming from the commercial world, I can bring certain sensibilities to feature filmmaking where I'm a little more, um, I guess, able to pick what to fight for. I know what to fight for, I know what to let go. You know, I, I become more, definitely more collaborative in that sense. Um, and on the other end, working on sort of smaller budget feature films, like some of the feature films I work on have the budget of, you know, 10 commercials or one, one, one 30, 30 second commercial has the budget of a feature film. And that's crazy how lopsided that can mm. be sometimes, right? Yeah. You, you know, that chaos, but, um, and kind of coming from those extreme ends, I guess, kind of teaches you things, right? Teaches you how to handle things and what, and to put that money on screen and also to navigate certain things and think on your feet and move fast without compromising and always having a plan A and that strong vision, but also having a plan B, C, and D so that you're not stuck and wasting money and, and not moving along because, you know, the key is, I mean, you know, every minute is, you know, time is, time is money. And that's extremely true when it comes to both commercials and features as well. So I don't know if that explains the question that I just kind of went off on some weird tangent, but basically <laughs> what I'm trying to say is um, I've learned a lot on both sides of it on making commercials and making films. And that's taught me a lot and how to sort of make both those skill sets transfer onto each other and make them work. And to answer your question, yeah, ideally I would like to keep doing both. I would like to keep making movies and, and commercials and, and sort of commercials are nice. They're kind of in a way kind of like, I guess music videos are a little different. I used to do a lot of music videos too, but music videos kind of feel like a break almost because you don't have to worry about sound. You don't always necessarily have to worry about continuity. Um, the turnaround is quick and you can get to be really creative, right? It's, that's not always the case, especially in commercials. It's kind of a little more rigid sometimes, but I get to try out certain things when I'm doing music videos and, uh, and to a certain extent on commercials as well, short format that I can apply to feature films like, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nerd. I love cameras and lenses and stuff like that. And if I want to test out a certain camera and a certain lens or whatever it is, I, use, I do that on my music videos and kind of learn that in a way and then bring that onto my feature films or my commercials as well. Then I can be super confident when I'm on a set that has a lot of money writing on it, for an example, and it's all on me to make the day. I can be like, okay, I know exactly what to do here. And, and I've sort of learned that from the music videos or the... the, the um, what do you call it? The shorter, um, shorter format, um, like commercials and music videos. Which do you find more pressure in? Or are the pressures just different? I think the pressure, yeah, it's just different. It's the pressure is there on both sides, no matter how much your production costs and how much is writing on it or how, what kind of format it is. I feel like it's about the same, you know, it's just the same amount of pressure. It's just sort of a little different, I guess, you know? Do you do anything to basically prepare yourself for those pressures? 
like you talk about playing with the cameras and making sure that you're confident with them before you would take mm -hmm. it to a feature and kind of letting mm -hmm. that music video space be your kind of creative playground. Um, but yeah. is, is there anything else that you do to kind of make sure that when you go into those bigger pressure scenarios that you feel successful and feel set up to, to create the best content? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm generally very prepared. Uh, I, I do a lot of prep beforehand, uh, beforehand and um, I storyboard for myself. I don't oftentimes, I work with storyboard artists for like the official storyboarding stuff. But if you look, I have tons of notebooks. Actually, I don't have any in front of me to show you, but I have tons of notebooks that have like sketches and drawings and notes and all these crazy ramblings of mine just for <laughs> me, just for me. So that when I'm like on set and an actor or someone has a question, I have the answer for them. I can go back to my book and be like, okay, yeah, so this happens before that. And here's how you should be feeling because that's going to happen next, blah, 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 stuff like mm -hmm. that. So I'm, I'm very, very determined on being prepared because I am a strong believer that I have to, as the director, the director has to instill confidence in the crew and the cast, right? If the director doesn't have the answer, I mean, you kind of feel unsafe a little bit. I want people to feel safe on my set. I want people to feel safe when they're working with me and around me. Um, you know, even though I don't, I don't pretend to know all the answers, but at least what I can control, um, I try to be prepped for before I'm on set. So that's how I kind of prepare myself. Uh, and even little, um, when I'm doing short films, a lot of the short films that I do are sort of like personal projects or projects that I work with friends and stuff like that. And that's also another sort of playground, I guess you can, you mm -hmm. can call it, which, which it's, you know, it's practice. I mean, I've been doing this for a bunch of years, but still you, you always learn something on every, on every set. I learn something and I'm always growing, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, I, I've never seen your notebooks. We've worked on a couple of projects together, but I've never, I've never seen those from uh, you. Know what? you. I wish I had, cause I have one and I still have it too. Remember that music video we did in the barn and stuff. Yeah, uh, the, Barry, uh, um, Dust Bowl, Dust Bowl. How can I forget? I was covered in blood yet again. <laughs> covered in blood and all this crazy makeup and stuff. I found that book recently. I, I gotta, I gotta look for it. I, I'll show it to you one of these days. I still have the sketches for those, uh, for those, you know, those creepy guys with them with the mask and stuff like that. Not the mask, the the makeup and stuff. I still have. All Navin turned me into a doll. It, it was yeah. actually like that's one of the things that I really love about your work and working with you and just. Uh, seeing what you're producing in general because the projects that I worked on with you you always had some sort of new thing for yourself to develop like some some new skill one of the first music videos that, uh, that we did together you were playing with I, I don't even want, want to try to remember what it's called but like not stop motion uh when one element of a picture is in motion but the cinemagraph. rest of it is yeah cinemagraph thank you um yeah. I know things uh <laughs> but then but then um having having the CGI effects of like me turning into a doll, my face cracking in the next one, like always something new that you're challenging yourself with, which was really cool. And, and yet you still, even though you're giving yourself those tasks, doing something that you've never done before, you do create a set that feels very safe, that you feel like as an actor, I felt very taken care of. I never felt like you didn't know what you were doing, that you already, even though I didn't see the books, it felt like you had done your, your work beforehand. So it was, I do remember that set too. <laughs> and I want to see the images from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, yeah, that, that's it. Because it's like, it's, it's a bunch of things too. It's like, yeah, me coming in prepared, but also working with the right people, right? Like casting the movie, right? Or the, the project correctly and surrounding myself with the right team as well. And that's equally important because if I can figure out something, I, we can figure it out together. You know, we can work together and we'll figure it out. Like that's, I think that's the confidence that I have because I have confidence in you, in, in, in the cast and the crew that I can be like, okay, if I can't figure it out, I can talk to Kaylee and she'll come up with something cool and we'll figure it out together. You know, that's sort of the, the mentality and sort of the vibe that I love working in because I thrive in that kind of situation. And hopefully I, for the most part, I, I end up working uh, with people like that too. And that way we bounce stuff off of each other. And it's not just me, it's just, it's all of us together. And then, then there's a sense of like pride and ownership to it too. Like we, we came, we solved it together, whatever that issue was. You know? Yeah, and, that symbiotic that's relationship. That's cool. 
It's yeah, definitely cool, yeah. the kind of energy that I was saying, like when I first met you, um, and I know in your birthday video, I was talking about how like, these are the same, I think, headphones yeah, yeah, yeah. you saw no, me wear when yeah, you walked totally. into the Starbucks. I like, lost it when you, when you were talking about that. I'm like, yeah, I, I remember exactly that moment that day at that, that Starbucks was great. So do I. And, and that's what I'm talking about, that kind of energy that you... Um, I think that we have we share a similarity in that that when you're choosing people that you work with you you go off of that gut feeling you go off of the instinctual recognition of uh somebody who can be a team player somebody that you know is also going to maybe creatively have something to offer that you wouldn't necessarily come up with on your own the symbiosis of it all um you also now don't just do your own work, shoot your own work, but you're you're taking on pieces that are written by other other people. You direct other people's writing, correct? Correct. Actually, uh, I don't I don't really write anymore. I I I still enjoy developing and sort of uh, um, coming up coming up with concepts and, and and sort of developing ideas. But I don't write anymore because I don't think I'm a good writer. I just don't enjoy the process and I don't enjoy my writing to be quite honest with you. Every time I, I'm an editor as well. So every time I write and I direct some and I shoot something and then in the edit room, I'm like, who the fuck wrote this shit? And I'm just cutting stuff out. So I'm like, mm, maybe I shouldn't write anymore. So I, I learned that. Um, I think during, just before I did chasing Valentine, my movie, uh, because for that movie, I started writing it and then I ended up getting another writer to come on board and actually, actually write it. So Neil Schneider, wrote that movie with me but really he was the screenplay structure guy i just came up with the concept and the flow and the story and, and the characters but he really wrote the movie so yeah i don't really write anymore even the project that we're kind of working on right now it's like that's why i'm like kayla you run with it we'll develop it together but you you are good at that and, and other writers are good at that i'm that's, that's not my thing i love taking it after that and visualizing it that's what i'm strong at in my opinion and I feel like I discovered that at some point in 2015 or something and, and I'm trying to put that in practice, you know? Well, that's pretty incredible. I find that a lot of people kind of go in the opposite direction, especially with the lower barriers to be able to create our own work. Everybody almost feels that necessity to wear all of the hats in order, which, you know, we do need to have that kind of onus and responsibility to create our own work, especially as an actor. I, I recognize that. And there's a lot of that kind of talk in the rooms with actors to not just sit and wait for your agent to get you a role or the directors and casting directors to choose you. But there is strength, I think, in being able to focus and tunnel down on one particular endeavor, wearing that one hat. Um, my question was going to be, how do you, how do you choose? Like, I think I understand how you choose the people that you want to work with creatively, creatively, but how do you choose an idea? How do you know you want to make a, something into a visual product? Um, that would really depend on, um, if it's an idea that I came up with or someone pitched to me, I mean, for me, it's, do I want to watch it? Uh, does it stand out in, in, in some way? Has it been done before and has it been done better? You know, or can I do it better? Mm -hmm. um, I guess those are the three things that I, I look at when I'm considering a project or, you know, because it's so much time and so much energy and effort, you know, you're putting into one project. Why would you do a mediocre project that someone else has done better? You know, there's so much good stuff out there. You want to stand out or do something different. I mean, project has to at least have that, at least have to have a similar story or plot that's been done before, but told in a different way. You know, that's, I, I think that's like the base requirement. It at least has to be told differently. Have you ever gone that quote unquote mad route? When we talk about mad artists, have you, have you either found a project or a film that has moved you to madness or have you ever felt like you've gone mad with one idea, one of your projects? Yeah, that would be our, um, probably my final year university project that I was obsessing over. And that was film too, that was 16 mil film. And I spent so much money on reshoots and buying more film stock and processing it until my professor told me he's like you gotta learn to let go man <laughs> like how many times are you gonna change this thing and i felt the second time was with chasing valentine my, my movie which was also my passion project that i poured my own money into and this and that um i got i, I guess i have a little bit of an obsessive nature <laughs> so i just obsessed <laughs> obsessed over it and every couple's every screening i would watch it and i you know I, this is after the movie is locked. I watch it at the film festival and be like, oh, I've got to change that. That sucks. And I go back home and, you know, change things here and there and then call my sound editor and be like, hey, I need a new mix. Is that cool? Oh Can you, you know, 
slot me in and give me a new uh, 5.1 track and this and that. I, I did that a couple of times until I kind of set myself down and be like, you know what? I got to let go. This movie is done. It's out there. It's screened, you know, three times. already. <laughs> I got to stop tweaking it. Um, <laughs> and also that actually Chasing Valentine taught me a lot. That movie came out. I did that movie in 2014. I think it came out in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that was also, I, I believe the first time I did a proper uh, test screening. So we, we screened it to a group of um an audience that consisted of random people um, and um, people like uh, like a like a random bunch of audience, basically a sample audience who watched a cut of the movie that I thought was the best version of the movie that I had to show. And then that screening taught me a lot, and we reshaped the movie um, fairly significantly, I would say, after that test screening, and that really kind of blew me away. And then I really, really started to appreciate the importance uh, of test screening and showing your work to people you trust um, and also your target audience before it gets released. And I think that's such a super important step and super important part of the project because that movie, the version that's released now after the test screening is my favorite um, version of the movie. Okay, well, that gives me two more questions. I'm sorry, Justin. I'm asking a ton of questions. Totally fine. Go, girl. I'm super rambly. If you guys need me to... No, you're good. uh, You're good. Yeah, we'd like to talk to your PR rep instead. Sound bites, please. Um, (laughs) (laughs) See, that's something I'm learning. I'm learning to shut the fuck up and just kind of (laughs) like condense shit, you know? Well, you and I hanging out does not help because we are already know I'm syntactically (laughs) overrun as well. Um, So that, that propelled... Two questions. Um, I still have that idea of COVID-19 that I want to come to, and, and especially yep. with the work that you're doing in your home, you've been doing a series of looking inward or turning inward, I think you've been calling it, about your stills. Yeah, yeah um, looking inwards, yeah. I, I definitely, I want to get to that. I don't want to forget, but because you were just talking about letting go, because you were just talking about being able to be aware of, you know, when to step away from the sculpture as the artist and choose to just stop sculpting and let that be the final product, we experience, at least I know that I have experienced as an actor or even as a, a director, editor, wherever I'm in, in the stage of the process, the post-set blues, are those real for you? And if they are, what do you do to cope with that for your own mental health? <laughs> well, that's when I call up people like you and... and, and, and <laughs> Tequila. You know? Um, <laughs> Start the next no, thing. <laughs> is, is that, no, but is that what, um, hab- is that your habitual go-to process? Do you just hop on to the next project? Do you try to search for the next thing to make? Yeah, I mean, you know, right after I wrap a movie, I'm like, oh my God, why, why am I doing this? And I want to not do this anymore, this and that, you know. But that lasts for like 24 hours because you're just coming off of a very, you know, potentially a very stressful situation. Like the last movie I did, um, you know, by the end of it, I was just so exhausted and, and um, I was like, wow, you know, like I'm getting older. I'm like, can I still keep doing this? But then like literally 24, when I, I just get a good night's sleep, wake up the next day, I look at the dailies or look at the stuff we've shot. I'm like, all right, I want to go back. I want to get back. And I want, I want that feeling again because the feeling of being on set and just creating content and then looking at the dailies is so satisfying. And then beyond that, when the movie's finished, and you're watching it with an audience in the theater or, or wherever and having that sort of public experience, which we don't have, we haven't had for the past month, but having that public experience is so, it's one of the, is what, probably one of the best feelings in the world for me. And I know a lot of people feel that way. A lot of filmmakers and artists feel that way because that's something that is, you know, it's such a public shared experience, but it's also such a personal moment when you're just like, in the corner of the theater, just looking at the movie on the screen and then watching people's reaction and hearing people's reactions. And that's just, you, you can't beat that, you know, that feeling and that adrenaline and that feeling and every, everything else, you know, every other potentially negative stuff that may have happened or all the exhaustion and how tired you were and the 19 hour days and all that kind of stuff, all that just evaporates, it's gone. You never think about that anymore. And then I just want to go back on set tomorrow and make another movie. You know, that's that's exactly how I feel. And and yeah, you're right. And you know, I, I try to I, I I try to have a project or two 
in development of pre-production while I'm working on a project so that you know how long it takes to make something. So, you know, hopefully you by the time out. this movie is released, you know, I have something else in pre-production or something like that. So that's how I try to do it. It doesn't always work that way, but uh, I've been trying my best to. Don't you hit that moment of burnout though? If you have that much on the go, always on, like, do you ever hit that moment where you're like, I need, I want to walk away? Yeah, totally, totally. That that happens too. And, and uh, you know, over the years, I've also learned the importance of taking time to yourself and going on vacation and uh, just, switching off your phone and emails and all that kind of stuff and just fucking off for two weeks you know and then coming back and absolutely and I think that's um equally important the self-care is equally important because I want to be able to continue to do this for a very long time but if I don't take care of myself and my mental state and my physical state and all that kind of stuff uh, and my body and my soul and all that um I'm not gonna be able to do this for a long time you know what I mean so that's important as well and you know like as you as you mentioned, I did just turn 40, but the past, I'd say the past five or six years or so, I've been sort of trying to be a little smarter with how I work in terms of, you know, um, I mean, also learning to let go is a big thing, but just not being, not stressing the small things, you know, and just letting go of things and also having a balance of a good lifestyle, a good positive lifestyle and relaxing and taking that break and that vacation, that time off when, when I need to. Um, but also, you know, just throwing myself into work when I, when I need to as well. Oh, too many, too many more questions from, from here. I want to pivot over into the, the COVID-19, the isolation pieces you've been working on that you've been putting out on your Instagram. Can you talk about the series and how you've felt capturing those images? What is your yeah. Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> Let's plug your Instagram. Yeah. So my Instagram, which is my name, Navin Ramaswaran. Uh, I'm sure one of us will spell it out at some point. We'll put it um, in the show notes. Yeah. Um, well, very much like the post-set blues, you know, when we were on lockdown and I realized this is a real thing that's happening that we're all going to be in for X amount of time. We still don't know how long this is going to last for. Um, my first instinct was, okay, what am I going to do? I'm not going to be able to go on set and create stuff anymore. What can I do around the house? So the first thing I actually did was just caught up on my video games and TV and movies for, you know, about five days. And it was cool. It was like, wow, I, you know, it's Monday afternoon and I'm on my couch drinking martinis and watching movies. You know, this is it's not so bad but then very quickly i i started to kind of feel uh, i guess a little useless right i'm like man like everyone else, a lot of people have a lot of skills who 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 are actually doing things right now and and being useful but i'm really not because this is all i have um so uh, I'm, I'm also a photographer i also uh, do stills um so i i decided to sort of I didn't really decide. It just kind of came to me. It just kind of happened, honestly. Um, you know, this is one day where um, the sun was just hitting the house perfectly and everything just looked kind of whimsical, you know, and I was making bread and Lisa was making breakfast or something like that. And everything just seemed like a movie kind of, the lighting was great. And it just kind of felt like a movie set. So I grabbed my camera, my, my, my um, A7III, and just started, started shooting stills around the house. And that sort of motivated me to be, okay, maybe I can do a series of, you know, just the little things around, around you, around all of us that we take for granted. Like that little dying flower pot that's been on my, on my kitchen windowsill for the past three years, you know? But it just looked so beautiful the way the light hit it. And my, my lazy ass cat who's, sun, who's basking in the sun and looking out of the window and the light's perfect. Like all those little things that, I get to enjoy now that I'm at home 24 hours a day um, that are beautiful things that, that I enjoy and love. And I saw Elisa sitting on the, on the patio having a coffee. I'm like, this is a great shot, you know, just things like that. Just very, very, very basic everyday things that are around you all the time that I feel like we miss, especially people like us who are always out, out and about and on set and just working so much that we miss these things. Right. Um, and that's what got me motivated to do this series of still images that are just capturing, you know, one frame of the thing that you may have missed on a typical day. But today, because I'm here, I'm, you know, on, on a Monday afternoon, I'm actually taking a step 
back and be and admiring all these little things and that's how we started that's that's how the series really started and i'm still doing it i mean i haven't posted um uh the newest stuff but um i'm still posting those things and i'm also doing another series called um covid diary where um i've been fortunate enough to sort of do little projects uh recently through my work where we you know obviously with following all the social distancing rules um we are working with some restaurants on telling the stories of these restaurants and the businesses and how they're sort of pivoting um, given given the the COVID uh, situation right now. So I've been lucky enough to get into these some of these empty closed down restaurants and sort of shoot um, a very somber, very weird kind of version of popular restaurants around Toronto that used to be always busy and always loud and and full of life, but completely empty and and very somber like you know so I'm, I'm documenting those ones and i'm gonna start to post that one those those uh series as well but but yeah so you know just kind of taking a step back and just sort of admiring all these things that we typically take for granted that's how these both these series actually came about for me i've been doing a lot of the same obviously i shoot as well and uh <laughs> I've been finding for the most part, it's whenever it's sunny and we've had a couple of gray days, but uh, the sun, when there is no, when there are no clouds in the sky, the sun punches me in the face and wakes me up. I don't shut my blinds, but it, it's like startling. But for some reason, I've just, without even just my internal clock, without having an alarm on, I've been getting up and catching these incredible skies just as the sun has been rising over both sides either like I look into the city and I can see the escarpments of all of the you know the jagged tooth skyscrapers poking up but then I can look the other way out find like the front of Roncesvalles and see kind of a quaint community to get the sunset as well and I am keeping busy connecting with people like you and creating even the pitch that you were just talking about that's something that kind of what re-triggered in my mind when you're talking about watching people watch your work you're in a theater and the emotions that must be riding through you by getting a response. Now we get those responses and we test, we bring our writing to, yeah, I've been even just bringing my writing to you before we pitch to CBC um, or reaching out and having other people read the scripts. I want to know how you feel about getting feedback and incorporating that uh, same, same idea of like either letting it go or because there was, there was some feedback that I found that I let go of and then I kind of completely disregarded. And some of the writers who offered their advice, I, I was wondering, you know, is this going to offend them if I like change it back to how I had it? Um, yeah. But then also because we were writing a, a story that was highly conceptualized that involved AI. And I reached out to a friend who is the biggest tech nerd that I know and specifically like knows everything about AI and is offended by shows that don't get it right. And I was right. so nervous to ask for his opinion <laughs> on that. So how do you, have, have you had any of those moments that have felt like heart crippling for you getting response? Have you ever had anything that has made you question yourself real hard? Oh yeah, 100%, def all the time actually, <laughs> totally. So how do you come back to, like how do you have that, find that balance of either creating something that was in you that you needed to share with the world or satisfying your audience? Uh, I, that's, you know, it's it's always tough and I'm still, I, I, I don't know what the real answer is to that question. I'm still figuring it out because uh, I mean, I did, I, ha I have learned that it is a very collaborative process. Filmmaking, uh, you know, every every step of the way is is, is very collaborative, um, at least the way I see it. And if you have, if you ask for feedback or opinion, it should be from people you trust and people you respect. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like it's important to realize that, you know, if it's a project that you are spearheading that you've created, it is still your vision. It is still your project, and you. At the same time, you know, there's something to be said about gut feeling, right? And and following your instincts as well. So I think just finding that balance between taking the advice and feedback from people. Um, I guess the important one is if you're getting the same feedback from a group of people, then perhaps you should consider, uh, you know, altering it, changing it, whatever that may be. 
Um, but if, if it's in it, everyone, if you ask a hundred people for an opinion about one scene, you're going to get a hundred different answers, right? So then it's up to you to sort of decide on what you feel is the right path to go towards. Um, but at the same time, if out of the hundred people, 50 of them or 40 of them are saying this, uh, sort of like obsessing over this one thing, perhaps you should consider, you know, looking at that one that that one point i know so i don't know if that makes sense my answer makes sense but um i feel like it's just finding that balance and it's not easy and i, I don't know if i found it I'm, I'm still figuring it out like i said ah the artist played always <laughs> no. yeah I know, it's, it's weird because when you first when i first started off as i was like oh no it's my vision it's, it's my vision man and you know my 119 minute movie is perfect i can't cut anything else you should be 180 <laughs> minutes but you quickly, I, I feel like, you know, if you're, if you're working in the industry with the right people, with professionals, you'll quickly realize that, okay, you know, these, the people who you are asking for feedback from or, or who are giving you feedback, a lot of them know what they're talking about. A lot of them have been through this process many times and have made successful product, right? Successful materials. So, you, you know, it's probably in my best interest to listen to them and kind of see what they mean by whatever it is and, and consider that. So I've sort of learned that and sort of, I, I don't know, I guess over the years, just maturing as a filmmaker and just maturing as a person too, and just being able to take that feedback, negative or positive or whatever it may be, um, and turning it into something useful for the project. At the end of the day, it's for the, for the betterment of the project, right? It's not about hurting people's feelings or anything like that. Although, I mean, it's nice if you are not hurting people's feelings, but at the end of the day, it's the project that's going to live on forever. You know, my movie or your movie that's out there, I, you can't be going out to every screening and apologizing for why things suck or why this scene didn't didn't turn out this way or this scene should have been that way. Isn't that what a Canadian style film festival is? <laughs> yeah, just apologizing, <laughs> apologizing left, right, and center. Sorry, you can't do that. So your, your project has to speak, has to be on, and has to have its own leg and speak for itself. So, um, yeah, it's. It's interesting. I mean, you're always fighting with that, right? Like, I see that we're coming up. First of all, I see that I didn't plug my computer in and it's dying. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> I see, <laughs> I see that we're not plugging your computer, Kale. I like, okay, first of all, I thought I did, but lately <laughs> I've been thinking that I've been doing things and technology has been arguing otherwise. So I'm not going to argue. All I'm going to say is that we're coming to the end of our, of our interview, of our episode. And, um, and I didn't set you up properly. I don't think I told you that we at the end typically share <laughs> one cool thing that we like. Mind you, you've shared a lot and you also have your whole series on Instagram that you can share. Uh, but you, I'm sure you also have some other things that you can plug right now. I know that you have some projects that you are starting to share with the world. So, um, if you'd like your one cool thing to be those, please do share those. <laughs> I will start by offering the cool thing that has been making me feel a little bit, um, aside from the collaborations, and the collaborations are huge, the communications and having people, I guess I have two cool things, because this one means a lot to me. Classic, Kelly. Um, classic. <laughs> the biggest thing is the, the sense of community, the support system that I know that I have, I have you know, creating things with friends like you and doing podcast episodes, but I also have a very supportive family and just these random funny things that friends have been messaging me. But I also have a handful of certain friends who just continually check in to see mm -hmm. how I am because they just care to know how I'm doing. And it's heartwarming. Um, but the one thing that is, I guess, a little bit more actionable, people can actually go watch that uh, really stuck with me was a a TED Talk. I like watching my TED Talks when I need to pull myself out of my analytical mind. This one's still kind of heady, but it's about identity. It's about, it's called The Art of Being Yourself by, I think it's Caroline McHugh. Uh, I'm going to put it in the show notes as well, but it's a, a woman who talks about basically the fact that you're you're not your thoughts. You're not your emotions. You're not even what you do. You are not that film that you put out there that's living on and being your baby that, but there is something about you that makes you different from everybody else. And your only job really is to figure out what that is that makes you different and be more of that. So it's a cool, pretty short watch, um, but I'll put that in the show notes. That's my one cool thing. Either of you, Justin, do you have one? Um, 
I could have potentially two as well. Neither of, well, one of them is definitely not cool. So I'll give up on it before I even say it. <laughs> um, it's funny though. So I want to say it anyways. Do it. Say it. Start with that one. So being city slickers, I don't know. Have you guys ever gone to a landfill? Have you ever gone to the dump? Have you like garbage I, gets collected? Have you gone yeah. to a dump though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. I have actually in Windsor. Ugh, it sucks. Ago, it's the worst. I've been to Windsor. Does that count? It, sure. <laughs> Are you calling rough. Windsor a garbage dump? <laughs> rough. Fun fact about Windsor. If you compliment the pizza, anyone from Windsor will immediately love you. I've had that. Yeah. It's weird. See, you guys know these things. It's weird. It's weird. Anyways, dump. Have lived well. This is I'm at my parents' house right now because of COVID. Um, and I grew up here, so I don't know. My family's been here longer than I've been alive. And normally, you just drive into the dump, and everyone knows everyone because it's such a small town, and you just smile and wave, and they let you throw your trash out and you move on. But I got stopped the other day because I didn't have a dump card. So, my one cool thing is if you go to a dump and it doesn't get picked up, you have to have a dump card. Who knew? Dump card. It's literally <laughs> a red card that says you can throw trash out. How? I just say you can dump. Yep. So you have to hold on to that piece of trash just so you can throw out the rest of your trash. Accurate. Accurate. Nice. My other cool thing is it was also recently my birthday, and I don't know if you can see the Calvin and Hobbes painting there, but my mom made me a Calvin and Hobbes painting. <laughs> That's oh, so cool. That's awesome. I love Calvin and Hobbes. That's yeah. so sweet of your when, mom. Your when was so your birthday, Justin? April 13th. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Lucky number April 13. Yeah, happy belated. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, and you too. Uh, <laughs> shit, I can't, I can't, I can't. Like, you guys are too cool. I got nothing, uh, nothing as cool as that. <laughs> Honestly, I usually about. just, like, look at what's on my desk, and I'm like, what is funny here? Yeah, yeah what is funny? Dump card one. <laughs> <laughs> you could even just point out your shirt. Um, I'm pretty sure that, like, I don't know if that is the same shirt that you wore in one of our other Zoom meetings, but no, I'm obsessed with not. Harley. But, oh, oh no no no! Yeah, okay. Oh, Harley. I was gonna say you've, you've like already shared two cool things, yeah, okay, Justin. Let Navin have something cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess the like Navin's shirt is considerably cooler than mine. <laughs> I guess I like graphic tees. Eh? This is, yeah. I got it from a company called T Fury. It's an online uh, t-shirt company that prints uh, all sorts of cool stuff. I got a bunch of cool movie movie things too. One of my cool, uh, cooler shirts that I re actually really like that I sometimes wear to set is it says, um, it's two actually. One, it says, fix it on set. Yeah. And it's another one that says, famous last words and then quote. Uh, let's fix it in post. <laughs> Classic. I think I think that we should all own shirts like that. <laughs> yeah, we should. We should. Uh, I know my my post, our post department appreciates it, but I come from post department as well, so I come from both. So I I appreciate both sides. But um, actually, one one thing that I've so now that I have so much time, I've been like you know discovering movies that I've never heard of and, and stuff like that. Recently, I discovered this um, Spanish director. His name is Oriol Palo. Uh, and he, this guy's got some really cool movies under his belt. He's only made four movies, I think, so far. Two of them are Netflix movies, so we can get it over here fairly easily. Nice. Um, but if you guys haven't, uh, you should definitely check out his body of work. It's really cool. What kind of films? Uh, sort of super twisty mystery thrillers, that kind Ooh. of stuff. My alley. And, uh, yeah, me too. I love stuff like that, right? And it's, it's great. And he writes his stuff as well. Uh, so Oriol Palos, is the director and writer. Um, check out, I start, the first movie of his that I stumbled upon is a movie called The Invisible Guest. The Invisible hmm. Guest is great. I'll put the uh, IMDb link here for you guys to watch, to, to check out. Uh, awesome movie. You can find that one on IMDb. And his newer movie is called Mirage. Uh, and that one kind of reminded me of um, a movie that came out in the early 2000s called Frequency. Have you guys heard of that movie? Frequency. Oh, yes. Is is that like a sort of time it's traveling like a time film? Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like yeah. a father and a daughter and it's about radio. Oh my God, I'm obsessed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if you like that movie, you you really like Mirage too. It's, it's very much like that. That's a great cool thing. Um, you just surpassed us. I mean, Justin had a dump card. And okay. I said, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I think a dump card is pretty cool, man. That's awesome. It is. I've never heard of that before. I mean, me like, either. I would yeah, not know what to do with my trash. I got yelled at from a local, and he was literally like, do you want me to look up your name in the phone book? And I was like, yes, please do. 
I'm offended wow. that you're asking who I am. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Dead. Damn. My oh, town is really small. The... Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I've also been learning how to make uh, cocktails and sourdough bread and pizza, cauliflower crust pizza. Cauliflower oh. crust pizza? I feel mm-hmm. like that's a labor-intensive process. I, it, it, it is a little bit. Yeah, it is. It takes a few hours. And the sourdough bread takes six and a half hours. That's a six and a half hour process. But Do you have, okay. a, do you have a starter yeast that you guys constantly feed? Uh, yeah, I do. Someone uh, from a friend of a friend of mine gave it to me. And it's like a 70-year-old uh, yeast that's been in our family and stuff like that. Yeah. So I've been keeping it, keeping it alive so far. Uh, and yeah, so you constantly feed it and you bake it. It's, it's great. It's great. I just saw... A video like Jake Gyllenhaal's doing that too. So it's like a thing that everyone's doing now. Apparently, I didn't know this. I don't know why I find it so hilarious. Like, first of all, not everyone's. I'm the only one not doing it. Actually, yeah. no, this is a lie. We talked about this in our last Zoom meeting. Half that's of right. our creative process was you and Christian talking about your bread. Yeah, that's right. He's making bread too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody's making sourdough bread right now. Um, and I find it hilarious that you guys keep yeast as a pet. Like you keep, like you pass it on generations. This is the I woman who had... has plants as a pet. Um, first of all, they all die. I'm trying. I'm really trying to keep. <laughs> like I'm trying really hard because my mother told me if I could keep a plant alive, then I can have a dog, and then if I can keep a dog alive, then I can have a boyfriend again. So we're getting there. I mean, like we're figuring it out. But <laughs> what? Are... One step at a time, Gilles. One step at a time. Uh, one step at a time. I mean, what I had for what I was going to say. The other thing was, um, what I did for dinner i was about to say i had nachos for dinner but i didn't get that far i did not put anything in an oven i did not grate the cheese i didn't even use like what what do you what i don't even know how to salsa i didn't i used to like pasta tomato sauce put it in a bowl and dipped hey now's now's the time now's the time i've I've always liked cooking but i've never really you know i'd cook once in a while but the past month i've been like diving into it man like been like yeah sure we have all the time and but the thing is is that i'm a great cook i have a hungarian grandmother who put me through boot camp as i was growing up i know Mm. how to i whatever those shows are the live shows about the yelling chefs i could bring all of them to their knees to tears (laughs) but i just don't choose to even though i have all this time i had chocolate for lunch and then (laughs) a bag of tostitos i'm a great sauce it did do pasta sauce because I'm a great housewife. I'm taking care of myself. I'm my own baby. Yes, oh yes, yes. Oh man. Oh, you guys should speak of cooking. You guys and cooking shows. Um, this one's where the chef doesn't yell at people. Uh, it's a very friendly chef named John oh. Favreau, whom we all know and love. Oh, I've uh, heard that name. His his show on Netflix is amazing. It's called the Chef, the Chef's Kitchen, I think. Um, but yeah, definitely check it out if you guys like uh, cooking stuff. It's a really fun show, and he brings all his celebrity friends too. I mean. Um, uh, Scarlett Johansson will show up in an episode, and and uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. will show up in an episode, and Sam Raimi shows up shows up in, the, in an episode making pasta. So it's it's good stuff. Making pasta. Making pasta, which is another thing that I learned to make. Oh, pasta from hand, from scratch. That's also That's difficult. Do you have one oh. of the press thingies? I don't. I did everything by hand. I just I rolled it and made it super thin and cut it and folded oh it and cut it up again. Yeah, pasta and the sauce too. And I followed a, uh, a Jamie Oliver recipe, I think, for the for the sauce. Good We're stuff. working on pretzels. The last time I made them, Ooh, yeah. it was a horrible disaster. But trying again. Yeah. Um, and then dumplings. Dumplings are the other thing I want to get good oh, at. Oh yeah, man! I want to make dumplings too. Yeah, I love dumplings. Dumplings and sushi is another thing. I love sushi. I've never had the guts to tackle sushi though, but it's actually I've always wanted to, to do that. Yeah, it's fairly okay. simple. Okay, sushi. Okay, well, when we get together for your birthday. Fish. That's right. <laughs> when we actually get to get out of these jail houses and we can get together and celebrate your birthdays, we're gonna we're gonna make our own sushi. Yeah, oh, that'll be fun. That'll be <laughs> fun. Yeah, that's what I miss: society and community and friends being at the same location and being able to just see each other and touch each other and cheers each other, you know, and, and sort of cook together and stuff like that and play games together. That's, and watch movies together. It's a completely different experience. This whole it's situation. so weird watching TV shows right now where like characters are close to each other. I'm like, yeah, 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 this, yeah. you're not allowed, but you're allowed, but yeah. you're not allowed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to also change how we create the kinds of stories that we can tell. I was reading an article that was questioning whether or not that's insensitive to go ahead and make scenes that are 
not respecting those rules when people are still in, how long are we going to be affected by this? Well, there was a BBC article about them talking about putting an entire cast in quarantine so that they could keep filming because they're going to lose all this airtime. Yeah. yeah, and then having three different crews so that they can rotate also just so that you, in case one crew gets sick, you have the longevity by swapping them out with another crew. Wouldn't it be nice to have millions and just hire three crews and quarantine yeah. everybody? Like, that's it's the crazy. life. Yeah. It's definitely a yeah. controversial proposal, but, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Soon enough, everyone's going to start running out of content, right? It's Production has stopped, so no one's making content anymore. How long are we going to last without new content being being produced right yeah that was one of the highlights of one of uh, we had kind of a town hall with um an agency one of canada's top agencies the characters and uh, the gold who run it we're talking about how the nice thing is is that there's going to be such a need for content because we've for so long not been able to keep up with binge watching everything and now all of a sudden it's like that's all people are doing they're staying at home mm -hmm. they're netflix and chilling and they're wanting more because they're actually finished Game of Thrones. <laughs> I know that's an outdated <laughs> reference, but like they're actually finished all of the material that you know they're, they're craving more. So, and industries are not only changing with how we can, how we have to produce moving forward, but there are going to be certain industries that just don't even make it back from this, and that changes. God, that that changes not just the stories that we can tell, but um, in terms of like how sensitive we have to be to those industries that will have passed. Or, or changed, but that, that mm -hmm. it changes even being able to get together with friends and go to like restaurants that aren't going to be able to come back, that mom and pa shop that you used to support. So I'm also looking forward to seeing the doc that you put together that reflects that kind of change that is going to mm -hmm. be so close to home for us. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, it's yeah, it's interesting times that we live in and it'll be, I'm curious to see how we all look back at this, you know, like month, a year from now, let's say, and what, what the consensus is at that point and you know how everything has changed i mean i feel like there's going to be a new norm you know it, we're never going to go back to where we were it's going to be a new normal it's going to be a normal two by now once we get back to to business well everybody's asking for everybody's craving normalcy they're craving something that they recognize that has already gone away and i think i think you're right about the fact that it's not going to go back to what that norm was um i'm part of me kind of doesn't want norm. <laughs> like I get it, that's gonna happen, we're gonna find a new norm, but part of me kind of appreciates the fact that things are getting shaken up, not not like I'm not trying to glaze over the gravity of the situation, but mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of habitual processes that have been ingrained, especially in the Western world that mm -hmm. needed to be flipped over and taken a look at underneath these rocks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we'll it takes a it takes a big kick in the ass to to significantly change something, right? So yeah, this well, this is definitely it. If you <laughs> if this isn't it, then I don't know what is, you know. Yeah, this is it for us. <laughs> I think that's it for our episode as well. I think we're coming to this <laughs> yeah. close. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and hop on another Zoom meeting with me. I'm sure we'll have many more. Yes. Lovely to meet so. you, Navin. Thank you. Know, you. Likewise, uh, <laughs> thanks for having me and thanks for uh, indulging me in, uh, you know, uh, talking. All right, well, I'm sure we'll have you back again. Uh, we'll put everything in the show notes that you had to share and our cool things. Uh, we'll put a dump card in there too. <laughs> <Your reference picture. laughs> yeah, perfect. Have a fun rest of the night. Maybe catch a little bit more of that sun that's finally come back out in Toronto. I know. I'm actually going to go for a bike ride or something. It's, it's gorgeous out there. Yeah, I think I'm going to go for a run. Not in uh, High Park because they shut that down. So this will be weird. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get arrested. <laughs> Have a good weekend, guys. You too, See ya. If you like this podcast, you can support it by subscribing to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also leave us a review. Which sincerely helps us. Which we love. Come hang out with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and send us your questions, recommendations, and cool things at we're totally not okay at gmail.com. Learn more about how you can lend your voice to this podcast and join us on an episode by looking at the link in our description. More information can be found at anchor.fm. Thanks for listening to We're Totally Not Okay. But that's okay.
Escape Capade is an improvised Escape the Room podcast. I take two guests, trap them in a room, describe it to them in great detail, load it with puzzles, and then over the next 45 minutes, they can do whatever they want. You want to listen to two people fixate on a poster for 45 minutes? That's happened. Escape Capade episodes are released every other Tuesday and are available on the sonarnetwork.com. Just click on Escape Capade.